Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Today's sponsor is Loot Crate. And for less than $20 a month, Loot Crate gives the geek in you a special treat every month. Loot Crate is a subscription box service with $40-plus worth of geek, gamer, pop culture gear, collectibles, apparel, comics, delivered to your mailbox every single month. This month's theme is time. And quite appropriately, Loot Crate is celebrating the 30th anniversary of Back to the Future, time-traveling movie, Marty McFly. In part two, this is the exact month that is happening in that movie. Wow. (laughs) The timeless appeal of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they are also celebrating, and the timey-wimey charm of Doctor Who. So time in general, don't you see how it all weaves together? You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time to subscribe and receive that month's crate And then when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. You're never going to get those items again. So go to lootcrate.com backslash words, enter the code words to save $3 on your new subscription today. So do it up. Get cool stuff to your mailbox. Awesome. Check it out. Bridge Nine Records, amazing record label and their new release from H2O. It's their first new record in seven years. It comes out on October 9th and you can pre-order it at b 9 Store dot com backslash h2o so do that and then here here's the rest of the show hello 
everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Pull up a chair, sit down, stay a while. We'll be here for, you know, just over an hour, like we usually are. Thank you for joining us. And this is the show in which we talk to people who are involved in independent music and are creating things from that world. And this month is a very special month because it's a themed month. It's weird because I've done this a few times before. And the listenership seems to really increase when I do this. And I don't necessarily know why. Maybe people feel like they can like lock into something. Forgive the title. It's a little hyperbolic, but at the same time, I think it gets the point across. So I'm calling it this month of October, the Faces of Modern Hardcore. And I wanted to specifically focus on hardcore music because for all intent and purposes, if someone put a gun to my head and asked me to describe myself, I would call myself a hardcore kid. And, uh, you know, even though I am a 35-year-old grown-ass man, and I just had my birthday, everybody. It was on October 1st, so I don't know why you didn't send me a present. I'm pretty disappointed in you, but, you know, I'll, I'll let it slide for this time. The reason that I call myself that is because that's just what where my identity comes from. And so hardcore music is still a very, very large part of my life. Maybe I don't listen to it as much as I used to because there's so much other stuff going on and so much other great music that exists. But I want to make sure that I am obviously focusing on the people who are making an impact, you know, releasing records, touring, being a part of the modern hardcore scene. And, uh, you know, because sometimes I think people reach a certain age and they're like, you know, they, they, they do the whole nostalgia trip of like, oh, man, it used to be better when I used to go to shows all the time or whatever. It's crap. You're always going to look back on your own experiences with rose-colored glasses and think that your era was the best and blah, 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 which that's fine if you think that. I'm not judging you. But know that people are creating those same exact memories that you are holding so dear with different and newer and cooler bands than the band that you listened to 15 years ago. Tear down that nostalgia factor. I think we all try to rally against it. So <clears throat> the guest this week is Brandon Garone from the band Incendiary. He is the vocalist. The band is incredible. They're from the New York City area, and they definitely tread in the metallic hardcore world, indecision, most precious blood, all that sort of stuff, but then they have their very, very unique take on it. Politically charged messaging, and also very introspective, but not in the, oh, woe is me sort of thing. A lot of great stuff going on. So that's why I wanted to focus on the band, and more specifically, Brendan as the vocalist, because he has a very, very interesting story. Let's get some house cleaning bits out of the way, and then we will uh, dive into the interview. So I had to make mention of a very good friend of mine released a book, and that's no small feat to release a book. So my friend Matt Johnson, I love him dearly. He sang for bands called Preacher Gone to Texas and a band called Ignite the Will from the Midwest. I urge you to go check it out. It is theamericanhearts.com. It is a great book about basically just America. And I, I'm going to keep it general for you because I want to pique the curiosity. I want you to visit the website and kind of see what he has going on over there. Uh, I've read the book. It's incredible. It's actually, it's a very cute. It's very tiny. It's kind of like a pamphlet in a way, but it's thick enough, obviously, to be identified as a book. You're not going to get a 40-page book because I don't think that would be properly defined as a book. That's more or less a, uh, a newsletter, maybe. I don't know. But go to the website and check out his book because, uh, yeah, we got to support the people who are doing the creative work and the heavy lifting. And I just love when my friends are able to achieve their, uh, this is going to sound so cliche, but achieve their dreams. You know, when it's like you have that thing that you want to do and then you're able to kind of put your thoughts, your finances, everything on the line and get it out there. So that's exactly what Matt did. So check out his book. Like I said, I celebrated a birthday. It was awesome. It was a great birthday. I just hung out with my kid, went to a local amusement park called Knott's Berry Farm, and it was uh, quite fun. I just wanted to keep the birthday really nice and tight, keep it to family, uh, do some fun things 
you know, the week prior, I saw that movie Sicario. And if you haven't seen that movie Sicario, please go see it. The movie is absolutely unbelievable. I know you're not looking for movie recommendations right now, but I still wanted to let you know that. It was a very nice experience. And uh, as I grow older, I just realized that it's like, man, there's so much stuff that gets in the way of just pure enjoyment, you know, like obligations and all these other things. And, oh, I guess I got to do this because of this certain thing. Or it's like, I got to have a huge party because of all these friends. No, you don't. Do whatever you want. Do whatever's going to make you happy. That's ultimately the guiding principle that most of us should live our lives with. Do whatever's going to make you happy, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, you know? Just just try to live by that rule. Brandon Garone, the vocalist from Incendiary, band has been kicking around since the, well, maybe late 2000s, early 10s. I don't know if that's a thing <laughs> to say, but um, they're incredibly important for uh, a variety of reasons, but one of them being the fact that they've been able to achieve a lot with very little time. Because, uh, you know, the band isn't a touring monolith where they're not spending 300 days out of the year on the road. That's sometimes a hard thing to do to be able to kind of find that balance between real life, but then also still being active. So we actually discussed that a lot in this conversation. And I think it was uh, incredibly revealing to discuss that with a person kind of out in the open because a lot of the times... Um, you know, it just doesn't doesn't get readily discussed. So without further ado, here's my discussion with Brendan, and uh, I will talk to you after the interview's over. So good. Um, I usually start these things off with my own sort of personal entry point to kind of you, your, the band and everything like that. So it was... When I first heard you guys, which I can't recall exactly what recording it was, um, I mean, it was earlier on. So it was like, I mean, what did you guys put out first? Like, you guys- so we had, let me think. We had we put out a demo, which I hope you. Yeah, know. I don't think I heard. That. Then there was a seven inch called "Amongst the Filth." Then we put out a full length called "Crusade." Okay. And then we put out three split seven inches, and then we put out "Cost of Living." Right. I think I want to say it was the seven inch that that I first got exposed to. Regardless, but it was it was earlier on. It was definitely before the split seven inch series that you guys did. Right. Or, not series, but kind of was. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. It was intentional to do them as all. Definitely not. Okay. No, they just like <laughs> we kept getting offered, and we were like, "Yeah, sure, that's yeah. cool." And it, it it does make it more manageable because yeah. you're like, "I only have to write two songs." Hell yeah. Right. So yeah, it no. By yeah. the end of that, we were like, "Okay, let's not do any more splits." Right. We've we've enough. we've done that. Yeah. Um, but it was it was one of those things where I was like, when I first heard you guys, I was like, "Oh, that like." Why, why would somebody be doing the kind of like mid nineties, like mid, like, you know, 90, 1997 metal core-ish vibe. And it was like, cause to me, that was always something that was very, um, regional where it was like, yeah. I would hear it out of Southern California, like yep. the bands that Taken used to play with or whatever. And then, so it was just kind of weird to be like, um, I mean, with the exception of like indecision, um, yeah. it was like, Oh, like, so you guys are, you guys are from New York and you, you sound like that. But then I saw like, once I started to kind of delve more into the band, mm. I was like, Oh, like this is obviously like intentional, and like you guys were, yeah. you guys wanted to sound like that from the onset, and it wasn't like you guys were just trying to be like, um, you know, a carbon copy of Indecision or whatever. Or maybe yeah, that was no, the inte- I th- no, it wasn't. I mean, I I hope it doesn't come off that way. I, no, 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 no. I, but like, I mean, they we, were obviously a huge influence on us. Right. I it was really simple because I think it was everybody in the band is almost exactly the same age our drummer's two years older right so that's kind of just like the hardcore that we grew up listening to so i don't really you know i don't know what else we would have done and the other thing is that 
we started the band when we were like in our like we weren't we weren't 16 right. you know what i mean we were i was 22 i guess or yeah. 21 so like it wasn't like we were these little kids going with the current trends like that's i was already behind <laughs> right. as far as my influences so it was just what we grew up listening to True. you know what i mean like it cuz it was coming out in you know 2007 we started the band that was not the popular genre no far from it no far not right it. and that, that's and that was that was what was kind of shocking to me where it was just like and that's why i immediately like gravitated towards it because i was like oh that's anytime you see a band that exists against whatever current trend is happening mm-hmm. um whether intentional or not you you know i definitely find myself being like that's cool they're doing that like it, it's derivative, but of something that has came completely before that, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, like, Strife was a huge influence. Yeah. I, they were, like, my favorite band. They were also, which, you know, California. Um, totally. Also, one of the first hardcore bands that I got into. Uh-huh. They kind of got me into hardcore outside of my local scene. So, like, it was supernatural. Yeah. And, and then it was just by the fact of the random people who started to, you know, join the band also that they happened to be influenced in the same kind of thing. Again, probably because of the age, you know what I mean? And the, the, both guitar players are huge VOD fans Grew up on Long Island. Like it starts yeah, you to have make no sense. Choice. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> totally. yeah, it starts to make sense. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. You have no choice. If you're from Long Island and you don't mention vision of disorder, like I definitely think that there's one of those, like, I think you're, you're, you're kicked out. Like, yeah, you, pretty you, much. You, We're not allowed to go to a show anymore. Yeah. Right. You're like, you can't play Long Island. <laughs> exactly. De- my, my very specific vision of disorder memory is like, I think they, yeah, they toured out to the West coast. They played showcase theater when that still existed. And I think they played with bloodlet, but the show, I mean, the show was great, but it was one of those things where I was so, I was dating a girl that was super into ska. So we would oh, go to eat, dude, we sorry would go, to hear that. I, I was, I was sorry to hear it. Cause I had to go, we, we made an agreement with one another yeah. that we would be, I would go to some of her shows. She'd go to some of my shows. And it was like, that was such a bad show. It's like, there's yeah, no way yeah. that she would like any second of that show at all. No, probably not. Yeah. Dreadlock dudes from Florida playing really, really a weird. Very, very noticeable lack of horns at that show. Very noticeable lack of horns, probably. <laughs> totally. And I just remember, I still feel, the reason I bring that up is because I still feel guilty of being like, oh man, I punished her for like four hours. <laughs> I was like, oh God. But and, I mean, the show was great. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But I digress. Are you born and raised in the East Coast? It's I am. You, you strike am, me as a very East Coast yeah, dude. Well, I know. I know. My accent <laughs> is starting to creep back too because- yeah, so I was born in Smithtown, which is on Long Island. Okay. Um, born and raised. My parents still live in the same house, still together. Very Long Island-centric. <laughs> right. Yeah. Very, very yeah. white pick, picket fence, suburban-ish, Yeah, pretty much. Middle class. We lived in a more upper middle class area, but we're definitely middle class. Got it. Uh, both of my parents were teachers. Oh, what um, they teach? Uh, so oh, my dad taught social studies for like 40 years and is now a professor um, at the community college in Long Island still. Okay. My mom was a science teacher, but stopped to have us uh, and kind of like be at home sure. and then um, went back and just did early childhood. So like nursery school, stuff like that. Ah, got mm-hmm. it. Brother, obviously brothers and sisters. Or I have two older sisters. Yeah. Nine okay. years older and five years older. Okay. Yep. So you're, you're the baby of the group. I'm the baby. You can't do anything wrong. No, no, I'm the golden child, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Your sisters had to be to be punished. You're in the sense of like they had to go through all the trials and tribulations. Oh, yeah, they 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 were the test case. And then when it came to me, I was the perfect angel. But the the downside of that is I had three mothers. I had my mom and then my sisters, which is actually really nice. And now I wouldn't have it any other way. But they definitely especially my oldest sister. She's, you know, fairly older. Yeah. Nine years older. Right. So, um, 
I definitely felt that that way sometimes. Then that's you know true. I mean? Yeah, especially when you do have, like you said, you have that wide swath of ages where it's like you know when you're whatever when you're ten, one sister is fifteen, one sister is nineteen. So it's like you, oh, you yeah. were you were seeing and, and that. So nine years was funny because like I grew up, our my parents we didn't really do a lot of vacations. We didn't have like new cars or anything, but there was a big emphasis on education. Okay. So when it came time to apply for colleges, they were like, you can go wherever you want. Where most families, I feel like, are kind of the opposite. Where it's like yeah. they do have, they get to do cool stuff, and the, and but when it comes to the colleges, it's like you're going to the local college. Right. Like let's let's see up. what's in your budget. Yeah. Let's see what's in your budget. For my parents, they were like, we're really going to sacrifice for this. But growing up, I remember our vacations were just me, us looking at colleges for my sisters. So they'd be like, hey, guys, we're going to Lehigh University, so let's see what's fun to do in Pennsylvania. And we'll throw me out in the car. I'm like, all right, here we go. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. like, I... <laughs> the college trips were the, uh, the obviously the... Yeah, yeah the my mom was, like, telling the story. They actually just, just came up the other day where, like, <laughs> my sister was... Both of my sisters are very intelligent. My older sister is extremely smart. Um, so we went to a lot, of, a lot of colleges. It was serious, blah, blah, blah. And I got to the point where I had been in so many colleges and so many college tours that I asked a question on a tour, like throughout the grounds. It was somewhere like Cornell or something. And, and my mom was like, you, I was, I guess I had to be 11. And I put up my hands and I asked a question about like the student housing or something. And everyone was just like, what is, what is that this? kid doing? <laughs> Who is that tiny dork asking this question? Right. Who's this yeah. precocious little 11 year old? Taking notes or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Like, like this is in his future. It's just like, well, oh, the, oh that, that, that's cute. He's curious yeah. about it. Yep. Well, I mean, obviously I presume that because of your parents' background, like that there was no other choice but to put that strong emphasis on education because I guess they felt like. Yeah, I, I think it was always a plan. I was always, you know, did well in school and it was something that I was interested in not going to college. I don't even think would have crossed my mind. Like looking back on it, it was just like, well, when I finish high school, I'm going to go to college. You right. Know what I mean, cause I think that's what my sisters had done beforehand. And it was just never really like a big deal. It was like, all right, well, where am I going sure. to school? You know? Yeah, so, this is- and that's where like, from like, you know, my interests and things like that. I had always been interested in anthropology and archaeology from an early age. And as I kept going into school and getting higher and higher, I was like, I guess this is what I'm going to keep studying because that's what I was interested in. So that's why I kept going to college and then I went on to mass to get my master's degree, went to graduate school, stuff like that. So you're not, um, you're not normal. No, in I'm the, not. In, it, and, and I put it in the context of the world that, that we obviously live in and come from as far as like the punk and hardcore scene. Yeah. Like yeah, it's, it's not, and it, and it, uh, it's not, um, well, Milo goes to college, man. That's true. No, I know that's true. Yeah, <laughs> obviously you can look at him and be like, well, yeah, he, there's obviously there's, there's room for smart people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just regular dude. I just, it was right. just something that I did yeah. partly because I mean, especially with continuing into graduate school, I didn't really know what else I wanted to do. Sure. And it was one of those things where I was like, well, I, I, I like this and I'm pretty good at it. I don't know what, I certainly don't want to get a job. And in some ways it's people forget like going to college and stuff. Like it's a nice way to put off having to get a real, a real job. It, it totally is. You know, college is easy. You can be a professional student. Totally. Yeah. Right. You, it costs you can, a lot of money, but yeah, you can. Totally. Yeah. You can, you can quote. <laughs> I'm paying that price now, but yeah, absolutely. Right. You can quote unquote buy yourself. Uh, you, you can know, buy ten, yourself time. 10 years yep. if you're you're taking the the five to six year plan Absolutely. and then you decide to try to you know get yeah. get a master's or what have you yep the so so because of of your um so like you like you said you were pretty engaged in high school as far as like 
or did you, did yeah, I guess school kind of come easy to you? It, it came easy to me. I, I wasn't like, it came easy to me, I guess, looking back on it. I just did it. I, I wasn't like any kind of like insane student. You know what right. I mean? I didn't go to some crazy school for undergrad or anything like that. I just, it was something that I just did. There was an emphasis on education in my family from an early age. And it was just kind of a second nature thing. I always wanted right. to do the best that I could, but it was wasn't something that I like loved. I never loved going to school or not right. particularly. It was just, so. it was probably, uh, I guess, habitual or just like, habitual. Oh, what I do. Totally. Yeah. It's just like, this is what you have to do. This is, you know, and right. it's not like my parents were even pressuring. It was just like, this is what you do. Yeah. I even looking back, I couldn't have imagined being like, maybe I'll do something. Else. Like, it's just, that's what you did. Right. Right. Went to college. Right. Up, yeah, that there was there was no other path, which was, isn't a bad thing. You know what I mean? No, it's, not, it's you know, true. It's a structure. I mean, it's a structure. There, yeah. there's obviously like we as human beings do well with structure. Yes, like, especially myself. Right. I, I love having. I love being busy. Right. I I don't remember the last time I've been bored. I'm right. I'm so busy all the time, and I I kind of like that. I think I that fits my personality. I'm a very type A, very quick sort of intense person. Yeah, and I like having that structure i like having a plan and things like that right right the, yeah, yeah. You, you don't like waking up and be like oh what am i gonna do today no i'm not like that at all i'm the exact opposite of that right oh you're like the exact opposite of like hey whatever happens happens i've never said that in my life <laughs> like <laughs> right I, I i have to wake up by this time because i need to be there by this time and then everything else yeah will that's follow. just kind of how i am the show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a, a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like, the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I've always been that way. So you you were you were that type of kid as well where you were very uh I guess like focused in whatever you were doing like yeah, even was, outside of school? Yeah, I was always involved in a lot of different things. I think and I always called like the curse of being well-rounded because actually like fast forward later, I had a really d- difficult time with jobs and stuff cuz I was always like pretty interested in a lot of different things, which yeah. doesn't really get you anywhere. It's true. I always, I mean, there's a certain um, charm in seeing people who are like, I want to be a aeronautics engineer. I'm into planes. And then I went to college for it. And then I got a job right after for it. And now that's what I do. Right. I mean, I work on planes or whatever. Like there's a certain something that's really nice about that. Totally. I was always the exact opposite of that. Just kind of all over the road and stuff. You were interested so, in everything. So therefore it made it difficult to even like narrow, narrow your focus in any. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, and things kept evolving and, but, but I mean, I was always really interested in, in music and, and, and playing the drums. And that's really, that was the conduit for me getting involved into like playing music and into hardcore and stuff like that it was actually just being interested in playing the drums in general. Sure. Um, and what, what sparked that interest? I, I've, I'd always been interested in, I think my neighbor played the drums when I was a little kid. Like okay. I, I had started when I was like in fifth grade, I, okay. I always just liked it. And then I got into like punk and stuff. A lot of it just because of the drumming. I remember being like, how can these guys play so fast totally. and do all this stuff? I remember getting smashed by the offspring, right? Yep. When I was super young and that first song nitro where it's like, do, 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 do. And I remember sitting at my drum set and being like, this is impossible. There's, this is, <laughs> there's no way a human being can do this. Right. Like being like, you know, 12 and trying to do that. I was like, this right. is impossible. Totally. Um, and then, so that's what got me into a lot of the music was like drumming kind of like got me into heavier stuff. Interesting. You know? So it's uh, the, and not to go like all, all uh, analytical psychologist on you, but it's just like the, there's a structure to drums. Like, yeah, there, there is. I there never is, thought of it that way. Because there's no, I mean, c- clearly there's yeah. no notes. Absolutely. Like, so there's, yeah. there's no uh, lack of interpretation from that. It's just like, no, I'm going to hit this drum. It's going to make that noise. I'm yeah. going to hit the cymbal. It's going to make that noise. Absolutely. You know what you're going to get, man. You know what you're going to get. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah, I can increase the volume by hitting it harder. Exactly. But uh, there isn't really much inflection on that. No. Um, that's true. Yeah, no, I de- okay. I, but I identify with the, the, the drumming. I was always drawn to that, too, and I was always terrible enough to never play in a band, which I was very thankful for, like, <laughs> taking that. But it was like, yeah. I just remember being obsessed with Green Day's Dookie in regards to Absolutely. Trey Cole's drumming. Yeah. Just, like, where he's hitting the cymbals. I just I so remember just doing air drums and being like, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm hitting every cymbal, dude. Absolutely. I'm, I'm the best drummer ever. It's fun. It was fun. You know what Dude, I mean? So I loved good. it. I loved it. Were your sisters into that sort of music at all? Or was there my any... oldest sister? Wasn't my middle si- sister was kind of, okay. at least into alternative music. So right. she definitely turned me on to some, you guys stuff. were bouncing stuff off each other. Yeah. More, 
So from the, like, I'm really into like some emo and stuff as well, obviously. Yeah. And she got me into that. She bought me a comp CD called Nowcore. And oh, I don't yeah. know if you've ever heard of that. You have? I have heard that, of that. That like opened my eyes up to everything. She got me that pretty early on. I think I was in middle school maybe. Okay. And that was like a game changer for me. I was like, these bands are all awesome. Sure. Um, what bands did you pick out of that that were like? The, Texas is the, the Reason, Promise Ring, and Braid. Sure. Loved them, all of them. Right. Um, and I didn't like Modest Mouse, and I don't to this day. The they were on that. I, I, Awful. Yeah, bands. I just, I never liked them. <laughs> but there's a, that, that comp is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then I think for heavier music, I really actually started from like local music and then kind of branched out. So there was always kind of, as you know, a really vibrant scene on Long Island. Right. So I got involved in going to like local shows and like things in my town and stuff like that. And that kind of led me to discovering more like national or bigger, whatever you want to call it, bands. Yeah. I mean, like I got into Strife. I always tell the story because I bought a Strife t-shirt that had a cool live shot on the back. Sure. Southern well, which, California which, which Straight one? Edge. Which one? The Southern California oh, Straight yeah, yeah, Edge with totally. like the Japanese thing. Of course. Never heard Strife in my entire life. Right. Ever. Yeah. I yeah. bought the shirt. I was like, I was, sure. I was like, this shirt is awesome. Right. And so I great, bought that. Great design. And then, great design. And then I was like, I probably should listen to this band because I'm like already being a huge poser. Like I'm, I'm I should probably check them out. Right. And I remember being like, wow, this is like super intense. But I, <laughs> I, I made a good buy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a good decision. Yeah. Right, it was right, a really right. good decision. But like, I think that. It's funny how um, that kind of stuff, I always think about the one aspect from getting into new music that existed then that I don't know if it exists as much now Mm -hmm. is ignorance. Just not knowing what's going on because there is no internet. There is no, there was no research. It was, you know, the liner notes and it was the local, none of the above records it was called in Long Island that I used to go and sometimes just pick out records because the covers were cool. Totally. And just the complete lack of, you have no idea what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you have no context, no information. You're no, just tripping I, into I, it. I, I, it's really cool now where a lot of young kids have these, you, know, you see them have huge friend groups and they're all interested in hardcore. I did not have that. I had a one buddy who was into hardcore, you know, in middle school and high school. And then there were some more as I got older, but like just kind of in a bubble. You were and whatever it. you found, just winging it, man. Right, it's, right. It, it's a... It's nice. It's a kind of nostalgia about that. Just everybody knows everything about everything now. Yeah. And back then it was just like I would only find stuff from liner notes. And if I happened to see the band live. Right. Things like that. You yeah. Know? No, there, the, the, I, that is a very good point because I, I definitely uh, I, I, I personally try not to tread on nostalgia too much of like, oh, it was better back then. But there definitely is something. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's it, different. It, right. it was just different. different. Now the the downside of it was I missed shows that I could have went to and missed yeah. bands and I missed the heyday of things that I was old enough for, but it wasn't really on my radar. Right. You know what I mean? And I got into silent majority late. Yeah. I, I did not really that wasn't really on my radar when I was growing up. I just didn't yeah, hear you missed it. it. Missed right. it. Straight up missed it. Totally. And I didn't have my 10 friends being like, yo, texting me, you got to come to the show today. I was just chilling in my house in Spittown <laughs> and they were playing shows. And I had no idea. Right, right. Always, That's always stuck with me as something that is, is back then and it's probably never going to be the same. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I do. I, I agree with you because there definitely is something... Um 
uh, I think charming about the idea of like whatever you getting a comp yeah. and then, um, you know, whatever I'll use the victory style one compilation okay. where it was like, you know, you didn't like getting that at, at the, whatever I got that when I was like 15 years old, yep. I didn't have a context for what was really like cool. Besides I knew like, Oh, I was like, Oh, I've heard of earth crisis in yeah. that case. But so it's like when I got super into like guilt mm-hmm. off that, off that comp, th- there was no one telling me like, yo dude, guilt's kind of whack. Like that- there was no, it was just, as my buddy was says, it was just heavy. Right. It's like heavy music and not heavy music. Like you didn't really know like, oh, this isn't cool. Like I, I don't right. know. Sounds I was heavy like, to me. Right. Sounds pretty sick to me. Yeah. Know? I was like, <laughs> dead, dead guy's pretty rad. Like I didn't, I didn't know that that maybe wasn't acceptable in like the larger grand scheme of things. And you or turned out to be correct because dead guy is in fact rad. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like that. Those are the two bands that like stuck out beyond the heavy hitters on there. That's why I was just like, oh, dead guy and guilt. And then other people were just like, dude, really? And I was like, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, like I mean, it. years later, I was like, oh yeah. And I was yeah. like, I mean, I'm glad I never like waved the high fi and the road burners <laughs> or was like, yeah, there's some. Yeah, there's some misses on there. They can't all be zingers, right? No, no, exactly. Um, I think that can't understate from my age group, that early 30s, late 20s, whatever, how important like Victory Style and Punkorama was. I mean, that influenced thousands of kids getting into stuff and having them at a hot topic and walking in and giving away the the short music for short people comp and stuff that got so many people into alternative music. It's one of the most brilliant marketing jobs that they've ever done. Totally. Like it changed it cha- the, those things changed the trajectory of people's lives. Totally. And that's not, I, that's took, not an understatement. If you took a panel of 10 people, I bet that are into hardcore yeah. that are the ages of between 28 and let's say 34. And you said, how did you get into hardcore? I guarantee that half of them at least would mention one of those comps, Victory Style, oh, Punkorama, something like yeah, that. Yeah, like Re- Revs in Flight compilation. Totally, totally. Man. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. No, it, it it is funny. Those the, the importance is definitely not missed on, like you said, that age group. Yeah. And so, like when you started to get into the, this style of music and what I would presume your parents would be like, oh, this is kind of weird stuff. That yeah, you're, like definitely. What, how were they reacting to you bringing home weird stuff? And like, were they just kind of like, oh, well, you're still doing all right in school. Like, we'll give him a long leash. Or- That's exactly what it was like. Okay. They were like, he seems to be fine. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he, hasn't, they, he hasn't worshiped the devil yet. Yeah. And again, like my sister probably listened to some heavy stuff too. Like, so uh-huh. she helped me out a little bit, a little, you know, paved the way a bit. Yeah. But yeah, they were, I mean, they were obviously not into it. They're not into it at all. But they were cool. They're like, he seems fine. You know, he's chilling. He has friends. He does stuff. He still kind of plays sports and seems healthy-ish. So whatever. Let him do it. Yeah, they were always pretty supportive of that and also really supportive of playing drums, which is horrible and annoying. And I would play in my basement and it's definitely loud. And my parents never complained about it. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, And my mom came from like a very musical household. And some of those things, just even talking about it now, like... A lot of parents wouldn't have done that. It's, yeah. it's, it's brutal. It's, it's totally so yeah. loud. Dr- drums are literally the worst. In, like that's like <laughs> totally. most parents worst night. Oh, drums. Most oh. expensive. Yep. Loudest. Takes up the most room. Totally not compact. It's just the worst thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. No, totally. The, <laughs> it's so true. I know. And so the, you know, as you started to, like you said, matriculate through school and, yeah. you know, you really focused on that on, so like, like you said, anthropology was basically kind of what you were focused on. Yeah. Were, that's the thing that I was, I was uh, history and anthropology. I was interested in that from an early age. Okay. Um, and then I kind of just stuck with it when I got, when I finished at, I went to, went to school in University of New Hampshire for undergrad. When I finished, I was like, I don't really know what to do. I'm going to apply to graduate school, I guess, because like, 
think about it, all I've known is going to school. You know what right. I mean? So I applied to a bunch of schools and I was like, I got into some good ones. I was like, I guess I'm going to do this now. Sure. I'm just going to stick with it. Because you, um, you went to Columbia after that? Or? I went to Columbia for graduate school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for yeah, anthropology. Yeah. And I think that the music thing is weird for me, right? Because of how sort of how I married the two, because I was still playing in bands all this time. Yeah, I was going to say and like how that. All yeah, so I, of- I mean, I played in my first band was in high school, senior year, and we played and it was awesome and played like house shows with like, okay. you know, like. In what, the was the name of, what was the name of that? The Unthinkables. Let me guess what you guys tried to sound like. Punkish, I would presume. Yeah, it was pretty much it was bad descendants, but then like. I would try to get us to cover Force of Change by Stress. Like, that's like exactly what it was like. <laughs> right. I was like, this is cool. Um, what about Firestorm as a cover? You know what I mean? Like, I love yeah. lo- that. I mean, that's total kid logic, kid mentality. Yeah, because it's also, it's like you only have the people that you know at your disposal. Totally. It's not like, well, this dude's into more like late 2000 style of hardcore. It's like this guy literally plays the guitar, he has met all of the requirements. Right. He he's a the, warm body. He play, he's a warm body. Up. He plays the, and he shows up. Yeah. So that, and the only I mean, way that you're able to inject your own personal like musical influence is by the suggestion of covers. Yeah. That totally I is. And that's yeah. Or like playing really hard and having putting in double bass parts when they were completely superfluous, things like that, you know? I love that. <laughs> I, the I, I have to interrupt because the the idea, that notion just like brought back such a vivid memory of like the first band I played in was called Doom Society. And we were that ex- way cooler name than the Unthinkables, man. Oh Damn. Doom Society, <laughs> dude. But that I mean that was we we took that from uh there was that punk band from Minneapolis called Code Thirteen. Okay, uh whatever. It, it, anyways, but it was one of those things where it was like we same thing, same function where it's like, yeah, I had two punk dudes. I was into hardcore and punk and that, whatever. It was this hodgepodge of people yep. trying to sound like something. But then it was like, I just remember being like bringing the skew bald seven inch, like the, the <laughs> Ian McKay's like, you know, two song seven. I was just like, Hey, how about we cover this? And everyone was like, what the fuck are you what talking about? What is this crap? Yeah, I know. Totally. And I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, that was, that was too much of a reach. Like, but yeah, yeah, but the only way that I was like trying to push us towards that. But yeah, that was your only it's recourse. The only people that are around. Again, it's like the, totally. there are only a few people that I knew. It's funny because I know people now from the Long Island scene that I was like, I went to shows with you since I was like 14. I never spoke to you once and now we're <laughs> friends. And it was just like, again, like right. there wasn't like, I'll follow them on Instagram later. Like right. I'm not trying to sound a thousand years old, no. but that I, you do see the effect that that had on sure. on your upbringing it at brings that the world time. Close, right. Yeah, I totally. mean, I did, it was funny, you know? And so, I mean, getting back to the music thing, yep. I always played in bands but i you know i would do them on summer breaks i would start a band with my friends or i'd play in college and i had a bunch of bands on long island i was in this band called up up the fury that we started that actually toured a good amount and stuff after that but like it got to be you know labor day and they were like all right brendan like what's up and i was like gonna drive back to durham new hampshire and they're like okay well we're getting a new drummer and that happened as they should have, you know, and that happened a lot. And that's how incendiary started is I quit or got kicked out of every band I was in because I either wouldn't stay, wouldn't quit college. That's, I just, I wouldn't quit. I, my parents had money invested in it. I just, I, was that a weird, like, did you feel pulled in a way? Like, did you feel conflicted at all about that? Totally. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Right. So like, you know, and there was another band, uh, like a pop punk band that I was in in New Hampshire for a while that was starting to like do really well. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is crazy. I've, you know, playing people would come to our shows and like, I'm playing drums and I'm this playing drums weird. all the time. And like, and then I was like, yeah, you know, they were like, dude, you know, shit or get off the pot basically. And I was like, I, 
I'm not going to do it. I just, I wasn't ready to take the leap and like quit college and do all that stuff. I had a life there yeah. and I, and it was important to me to finish what I started. And so when I got back to New Hampshire, uh, back from New Hampshire rather and moved back to New York city to go to a graduate school, yeah. I was like, that's it. We're, I'm doing a band right now. Like I'm doing a band that I'm here in New York. I'm staying in New York and I want to do a band straight right. up. And the only reason I wound up starting incendiary and singing is because I didn't feel like bringing my drums everywhere. I was like, I'm going to be busy now and I'm going to be practicing on long Island where all my buddies are from. Um, this is going to be a pain in the ass. So I probably should just sing. This is the, this is literally the only reason why right. that happened. Out of sheer function. It's yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna do that anymore. But it's funny how that era kind of changed things now, because I mean, you know, we can talk about the touring stuff, but like, if we were, if I was doing incendiary when we were 18 and go and like, we're like, yeah, we're going to hold off on school. Let's hit the road. I mean, we would have toured like that, you know, obviously, but yeah. things happened with us so late that it kind of changed the dynamic of the band and the way that we conduct things. You know? Right, right. Well, no, I mean, that's, uh, that's a question I was going to ask a little bit later, but yeah, obviously it's like, it was incendiaries always seemed very intentional by the fact like, Oh yeah, we're not going to do like full crazy U S tours. We're not going to be gone eight months out of the year. And it seems like that was, was that always kind of like from the inception of it? I was like, yeah, that's the plan. Like we'll, we'll, we'll play shows when we can, we'll be active when we can, but we can't, we're not going to make this the focal point or was that kind of, did that have to to change throughout It, it? It was always kind of the thing. I mean, I think early on, well, first of all, I mean, you know how it is when, when we started the band, I just wanted to play some local shows in Long Island and hang out. Like never in a million years did I, A, think I'd still be doing this band at 31, B, you know, playing New Jersey, like playing at playing the first time we played out of state, I was like, holy shit, this is insane. (laughs) Cause I didn't have those expectations. I just wanted to play really, really bad and, and, and not break up because I was in school or something. I wanted to just do a band. That's all I cared about was doing a band. It was important to me. And I felt like it was, it was four years of frustration of doing bands and starting them and getting excited and then having to stop and then starting other projects and having to stop. So I think as we evolved, it was, yeah, from an early perspective, it was like, I don't think we're going to try to like make it. Right. You know what I mean? And it, that's well, how it yeah, you definitely, been. you definitely need to have that sort of like, whatever you want to call it, uh, youthful energy, stupidity of like, oh, let's like, we're totally. going to do this. Like, yeah, we're going to, it, cause it's like, you know, even, I mean, even now where it's like, there's obviously a, uh, a notion of sustainability from like touring and making totally. it as even as a hardcore band. That's still like, it's still a long shot. It's still hard to do that. It's brutal. I I mean, yeah, I I think it just was, maybe I was like too responsible. I I don't know what it was. I just, hardcore is, was always such a huge part of my life and always is. And was pretty much the only thing I wanted to do, but I guess it was almost a too little, too late scenario for me personally. I mean, to me, to be blunt. Check it out. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I know you probably like to read books. I love reading books. Reading is awesome, but sometimes you don't have the time. You know, if you're reading like maybe five minutes before you go to bed and you get through like half a page, no more. Let me help you out. So audible.com. I'm sure you've seen them out and about in other advertising spectrums. I'm here to tell you, this is the real deal. Audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free, and it works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen to on your Kindle Fire and over 500 other MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or a rental service, with Audible, you own your books, so you can access them Anytime, anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. This thing's amazing. I love this idea. If you decide that you don't like the book, you know, you're like halfway into it, and you're, this is terrible, don't worry about it. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title. Anytime, no questions asked. That's amazing. I've used Audible for a long time, and I distinctly remember a very awesome listening experience of the book Gone Girl. Now, I'm sure most of you have seen the movie, Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, you know, great, great thriller. I listened to that book maybe about a year and a half before the movie came out, and it was, I was gripped. It was like a, I don't know, 12, 13-hour listening experience, and I wanted to sit down there for the entire 12 hours. <laughs> That's how good the book was. It was such an awesome reading experience, and when I say reading, I mean reading through my ears. I want to give that book to you for free, and you know how to do that? Go to audible.com, and you can start a th- free 30-day trial membership, and you can get a book for free. Go to audible.com backslash 100 words. That's the number, 
words, and you can start your free trial today. Listen, I'm giving you a book. Take me up on this offer. Show your support for the show. No effort whatsoever. Less than five minutes, you'll be done. You'll have a book. You'll support the show, and everybody walks away a winner. After you do that, and after you have that awesome listening experience, you're going to be like, you know what? I'm going to keep it rolling. Audible needs to be a part of my life. All right, you heard me talk about the new H2O record at the very top of the show. Here's some more details about it. So first of all, thank you so much to Bridge Nine Records for believing in this show and deciding to come on as a sponsor. It's so awesome when labels do that because, uh, you know, I'll be frank, there are not a lot of record labels that are interested in spending money because after all, the music industry is in a terrible place. Thank you so much, Bridge Nine. But I'm very, very excited to talk to you about the new H2O record. So... Most of you can recall the interview I had with Toby, I don't know, 50 or some odd episodes ago. But if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it because it's a very, um, yeah, it's a revealing conversation. But this is the first new H2O record in seven years. And it comes out on October 9th of this year, 2015. Pre-order the record, b9store.com backslash H2O. And they'll be on tour in November and December doing their own U.S. headliner. Then in January... They're going over to Europe, where they are immensely popular. They're on their Persistence Tour with a bunch of other bands, like Terror and Ignite, Twitching Tongues, a bunch of other great bands. What's even cooler about this particular release is that, uh, I mean, Toby, the singer, knows a lot of people. And he knows a, uh, you know, a skater, maybe you've heard of him before, called Steve Caballero. Awesome, because they did a music video with him where they're skating around, playing guitars. Pre-order the record, Bridge or B9 Store dot com backslash h2o and check out all the other cool stuff they have going on i actually had chris wren the owner of the label on 20 or so shows ago and it was it it renewed my faith that people running record labels i mean it's a thankless job and it's very difficult to make ends meet but chris has been doing it for close to 20 years or actually over 20 years now i think it's incredible so check out the new h2o record check out bridge nine records in general and um yeah thank you very much here, here's the rest of the show. It was, yeah. I was growing myself in my life in conjunction with getting more involved in the scene and loving both aspects of it also. Sure. And so when it came down to that, I mean, everyone was kind of on the same page. Like, I don't know if I, you know, I also didn't come from the kind of family where I'm going to be now like, let's say 23, 24 and living in the, one of the most expensive cities in the world saying like, I don't think I can afford to tour full time because right. I had like, my parents aren't going to give me any money right. and I have to work like that. That was a big factor of it. Sure. And I, and I, and I was I was like, I'm not moving back home and living with my parents. Like I'm not doing it right. straight up. Practical reasons, I guess. <laughs> totally. Some hard, some hard lines that you, you drew for yourself where it was like, oh yeah, there's no reason to, to be able to, I mean, it sounds like to me what you're describing it sounds like a very uh healthy relationship that you had obviously like with music because there is definitely i look at my approach to the way that that when i was touring you know on a regular basis and like once things started to happen for us i never had that notion of like making it i was just like oh these are exciting opportunities that will still yeah but i had a job i was working i was i had all the 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 real life stuff set up but then there is you know when you look at you know, kids that are 17 years old and are doing warp tour for the first time and have neck tattoos and face tattoos. And you're just like, what are you going to do in three years? Yeah. And it's like, it's not even so much from <laughs> probably like, not be involved in hardcore. Most of the people who come in with a splash are usually the ones kind of just tiptoeing out. You know what I no, mean? No, like, absolutely. 
Yeah, and it's like, it, it, like I said earlier, it's just like it's kind of it's reckless, and like that's what youth should be. But definitely, then there's, but then definitely. there's that element of like you got to have that in your head that like you're gonna have to come out the other side. Yeah, and it wasn't even like I need to plan, you know, fiscally right. responsible for my future. It's actually, and even you know, I don't really self reflect on things too much, but yeah. thinking on it now. I, it goes back to that. I was always interested in a lot of different shit. Sure. Always. I, I played sports and I was interested in some academic, like I was always interested in so many different things. I loved BMX. I loved riding BMX, like a million different things. And so hardcore was one of the things that I loved in addition to X, Y, and Z. Right. And so it wasn't like, this is the only thing I care about. Right. You know, I got to be a band, I, I got, got a tour, yeah, it, all the it, eggs it in this basket. Really, you know, um, more and more important to me as I got older, actually, rather than most people, it was kind of would be the less, right? It actually got more important to me. Right. And I think that, um, that said, after the initial period of like playing local shows and stuff, I knew that I never wanted to fall into like the local band thing. I'm not into like, there are so many bands that either that are just binary. They're either touring and playing 250 shows a year yep. or they don't see the point in play. It's like, well, we can't tour anymore. I mean, it happens all the time. It does. And I try to convince some of my friends' bands who are break up. I'm like, just keep, just don't break up. There's no reason to break up in 2015. It's, you can do like there. It doesn't matter unless you hate it, unless it's inter-band politics. And so for, for us, it was like, to, to your point, actually, it was like, it wasn't about making. It was like, let's just keep playing shows. And we... <laughs> I would put ourselves up to any band ever for having full-time jobs and playing. I mean, we've, we covered a lot of ground. We yeah. have played a lot in a lot of places with not working at Starbucks with like careers. You know, we've really, you've used vacation time to play shows. lots and done right. sketchy stuff. And yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think that while we didn't say like, Hey, we're going to do a bunch of us tours, the five of us were on the same page about being like, let's push this thing to see how, how much we can do sure. while how, like, how can we, if, can we play both sides? Right. You know, and the thing that can we put energy into both? Of can these we put things? energy into both of these things? Yeah. And I think that it's funny looking back on it now is because I've always had the band mindset of like looking at things very like progression and linearly and being like, we'll do this to do this. I, I didn't like the local band mentality. I don't like the bands who like, yeah, you go play at the local bar and your shithead friends mess around and then you drink beers and you go home. Like, I, I, that doesn't interest me. I don't right. know why. Like, I would rather just play less and travel around a little more. I, that, that vibe, everyone knows the, like, lo weird local band scene. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, right. where it's like, this is... They talk about work all the time, and then they play a gig once in a while. Right, and the like, weekend warriors. Saying, the, yeah, and it's like, we were kind of weekend warriors, but we kind of weren't. You know, mm -hmm. like we I had a very different outlook on it. And I think a lot of us felt the same way. Yeah. And the, the reason we were able to go that kind of hybrid model or whatever you want to call it from yeah, like yeah. a business way is because we're on the same page. Yeah. We, all of us were on the same page. No, and that's, and that's, that's, the, I mean, the reason I'm harping on that so much is because it is, uh, I mean, it's, it's rare. It's very it's super rare. It's very it, rare to yeah. have a, a very, because uh, like, it just seems like a very, just a very healthy, reasonable approach to the way of doing a band. And therefore it will, uh, you know, make you last longer from that. Like you give the, uh, the illusion or illustration that you are, uh, you know, a very active band. Absolutely. 
because of uh, how, how prolific with what you are with your with your time and your releases. But then it's like if you peel away the layers, you're just like, oh yeah, like they, you know they've they've done their thing, but like you know they haven't played as many shows as Terror in a year. Of course not. Like For, hell no, right. far from it. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think more bands than you think don't tour as much as you think. That's kind of yeah. a convoluted sentence, but we were just always. F- like upfront about it. Right. That, that's the difference. That's tons true. of think of, there's tons of hardcore bands that play that hardly ever play or right. do a they're, tour they're every festival two years. Bands. Right. Yeah. Or, but we were just like, yeah, we're not going to do this full time. Yeah. And we had a good, most of this band's career where no one gave a fuck about us at all. And we would just play shows to 20 people on the weekends <laughs> and had a great time doing it. And I loved every second of it. Right. But there was a time, not as much anymore because I've kind of come to terms with my life a little bit more and growing into myself where it definitely used to really upset me and I would really battle and turning down some soul crushing offers and being like, I, you know, well, maybe we yeah, should do this what, full time. You know, right. like, what, 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 what was the tour where it was like, that was that real gut wrenching thing that you had to kind of like wring your hands, lose sleep over to like, we have to say no to this tour. It would probably be doing like a longer tour in, in Europe. Some of the stuff we got offered to do there, like bus tours with this or that. And then earlier on, we got, you know, an offer to do, I think it was like two weeks in Canada with Terror, uh-huh. like a while. And I was like, at that point, I was like, I cannot believe we're getting offered to do this. Right. And turning stuff down like that was just really used to kill me. But sure. I didn't feel in my heart of hearts that like we... I could have pulled it off. I didn't think I could pay my rent like straight up. I, right. I didn't think I could live. Yeah. I, I see like the bands who maybe live in like a punk house in Richmond and pay like a hundred bucks. Like that is awesome. Totally. I, we just didn't come from this. Like right. I didn't come from that geographical area. <laughs> right. It sucks. And so I think that it was um, a conscious decision. Um, yeah, to yeah, just of, go of that the, route. That path. You know? It's something that struck me too about like, you know, the the approach of the band and like obviously like the way that your lyrics are structured. You know, Incendiary is definitely a I mean, like you say things. Like I know that sounds <laughs> yeah. I know that sounds uh very basic and stupid, but it's like you are obviously trying to get uh, a point across that isn't just yeah. solely relying on like here's the way I feel about things. Right, right. Um, and it's like, you know, for lack of a better term, like, you know, I, I kind of label it where it's like intelligent hardcore. It's not just like, you know. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's probably a product of being a little older when mm-hmm. I was writing things. You know what I mean? I wasn't 16. And yeah, that's about, Like, I hate my girlfriend, you know, like. <laughs> totally. Um, but I've always tried to put a little thought into it. I mean, I actually, one thing about me is I hate writing lyrics. I hate writing lyrics and I hate writing. And I picked the wrong profession when I was going into graduate school for that. I've always disliked it. Right. I was always pretty good at it, and I and I never liked it. What was the? Is it like the whole process of writing, or are there specific things that it you was just- the process of writing? I always took an extremely long time to pump out material. Okay, lyrics, research papers, whatever you want to call it. it took it. I, it always took a long time for me. Um, probably because I wanted to make sure everything was, you know, yeah, yeah, you're type A, type A, right. So (laughs) I don't really enjoy it. I I have things to say. And at the end, I'm glad that they're on paper and I'm, I feel strongly about everything I'm talking about, but the actual like writing process, right? Yeah. You're like, I wish someone could write the lyric. I mean, obviously you don't wish someone could write the lyrics for you, but like, I wish that process was easier. I'll give you, let me tell you what I'm feeling and some themes that I want to touch on and transcribe it for me. Yeah. That's why I need a court stenographer. Right, you're like, I'm going to pour all these words out. You'll get them down on paper. Yeah, it makes hopefully sense. I'll be able to edit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully I'll be able to edit this down. Um, the uh, Something that I've noticed you mentioned in, in, in previous interviews was just like the idea of like, you know, suburban hardcore 
um, as far as like, I was actually just having a discussion with my wife about this where it was like, you know, so many of us come from, you know, whatever middle-class families from suburbs, like what do we yep. have to be angry about? Yep. Um, and just that, that, that general notion of whatever, it, not even so much discontent, but just like the attraction of aggressive music. And like, I can't inherently put my finger on it besides the fact, like, I guess I've just, I wouldn't even say rationalize it, but I've just explained it where it's just like, I just knew that there was something uh, compelling about this aggression and that showed yeah. me that there, everything wasn't right in the world. Like, how do you typify like your experience with that, that sort of that notion of like, you know, suburban life and yeah. where the discontent I guess kind of came from. I think that the initial attraction to hardcore was more about the energy. I mean, it is the best live form of music in the world. I, yeah. I'll defend that to the death. <laughs> it is. You know what I mean? Put it up with any live show. Totally. I mean, you put you, if you put uh, like a hardcore show on mute and like for a person that doesn't like screaming, right? And then you'd watch that, and you'd be like, "Oh, that looks great." Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it. So it was always that that spark, that little like first energy. That's what always attracted me to it. I think as far as anger is concerned, and I've always been kind of an aggressive person. Yeah. Some of the things that, you know, you're referring to and, and, and sort of about what are you writing about and stuff is, you know, I always touch upon the difference in of how hardcore changed in New York, right? Moving from New York hardcore, uh, true New York hardcore, video right. stigma growing up the Lower East Side to, you know, uh, New York became one of the most expensive cities in the world. Again, not to beat a dead horse, but horse, but the socioeconomic implications of that is that everyone moved out to the burbs. Yep. So you have this crazy thing where you can only be a multimillionaire to live in, say, Manhattan or extremely poor. And so where are parents raising families and stuff? They're in the burbs. That's why I always consider Long Island hardcore is New York hardcore. You know, it, it, things changed. So getting back to like anger and stuff, I, I can't relate to violence in my life and I can't relate to a struggle growing up. I'll never front and say I had some tough life. You know what I mean? Like I, right. I'm sure many of us would say the same, right. but that doesn't mean that I didn't take some of the worldview that hardcore provided and kind of put that into some of what I thought and what I wrote about and the way that I saw the world and some of the things that I saw were that I didn't like about it. Right. You right, know, right. so yeah, it was coming from a different place. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, a, it evolves. Sure. It really does evolve. Right. Like a, yeah, a recognition of, of like, yeah, but just because I didn't have that, you know, street style experience or right. whatever, doesn't mean that I can't point to other things that, that I recognize as being wrong. And that does make me angry. Exactly. Know? I mean, I think the music has evolved. Now, if I was writing about like, you know, there's going to be a beat down, get your boys, like stuff like that, which actually sounds kind of sick. But like, if I, <laughs> yeah. if I was going to write about like that thing to be like, you know, what the hell is this kid talking about? He's right. some, he's some white kid from, from Long Island. Right. And I am. So I, I was always conscious of like, no, I want to write about the things that I see that are actually true in my life and try to, uh, not front. You right. know what I mean? I try to, I try to always just kind of keep it yeah, real. Represent your view. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, there are plenty of things to be angry about in this world. Um, more so than ever. So yeah, find yeah, yeah. It, you know, that was not difficult. Right. It's I not, mean, yeah. You know, it just, just, yeah. Open up a newspaper. Well, yeah, you know, and people I think, don't know newspapers, so that's a bad reference, but <laughs> yeah. Online opening up CNN.com. <laughs> right. But I think that it's funny just again, talking about New York is then moving to New York, becoming a New York city resident and living here, not from the perspective of gang violence and living on the streets, but the perspective of New York city in two thousands, this place is crazy. Yeah. And I believe that New York City, when you live here, it drives you crazy. 
some people it drives very, very slowly and other people are like, I got to get the hell out of here. Sure. It's a crazy place to live. It's super intense and it's just crazy. And I really, a lot of my lyrics and a lot of the things that drove me was some of the frustrations and just the day-to-day life of New York City. Mm. And it's a crazy place. No, totally. There are very few places where it's like, you're, uh, the only sanctuary you have is like literally within the four walls of whatever your house, whatever is small house. Yeah, totally. And then it's like, cause the moment you hit the street, when you walk outside your door, that's you're assaulted. Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's a crazy place. So I think that had a profound effect on me living yeah. here, working here and being like, there's some weird stuff about this area, you know, like, <laughs> no, totally. things I don't like. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go and I'm going to dig into these a little bit further. Yeah. Since, since you've lived kind of, uh, you know, this very, uh, I wouldn't even call it dual lifestyle, but it's like where you, I get that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Where people like, you know, look at wherever you work in the advertising, mm-hmm. uh, the world and where you, you would not typically be like, Oh yeah. Like hardcore kid advertising world, even though that exists, it's very regular. Like yep. that happens all the time. But, um, your average, you know, mainstream person that totally. just trips into an advertising agency and it was just like, Oh, you scream in a band. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. um, so I, what sort of like, I guess applications that have you found that have been able to like help influence your life that you've obviously learned from, you know, whatever the DIY community, like all that sort of stuff to be able to like help inform, I guess the, the, the real world people that you deal with. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that, um, the the values and ethics of hardcore and just kind of looking at the world a little bit different and questioning things and saying, well, why is that? You know, oh, well, this is the way it is. Well, why, why is it the way it is? You know, even just that, that critical thinking, I've always had that. And, um, I like that you can look at the world, um, a different way and then bring that into your job or your professional life or whatever, and still always keep that with you. Right. So it's something that always stays with all of us, I think. And I think as far as, you know, being involved in a scene that's so social, I mean, from a practical standpoint, right. I've just been always talking to people. I've, I'm blessed to have so many friends all over the country, all over the world that I've met from this music. And I think that translates into going my job and being super comfortable with people. I mean, that's all I do is talk to people all day long and it comes so easy to me, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't wrestle with a certain um, dichotomy between like the two things that I do, but I've always been, I've never been a guy that had like a lot of phases. I've always been into the kind of the things that I'm into. Right. Like I didn't have like the crazy punk thing where I had my Liberty you know, spikes. Right. Yeah. And I had like my nose peers. Like I didn't have that. I've always been kind of like a confident, uh, not cocky, but confident. And like, this is what I like. You know, I liked hardcore and I liked, you know, the New York giants and I liked BMX and stuff when I was 14 and now I'm 31 and I like the same things. Right. So it, ke- it really keeps me grounded. Mm-hmm. So it's been, I, it's allowed me to kind of have like a good, like bullshit radar for dealing with things in a professional setting or moving forward in my career. Cause I th- have always felt such a sense of being grounded and, and kind of having the hardcore, you know, ethics or worldview or, or social circle that I have. I think it's empowering. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it takes you, you, you're much more empowered to go out into the world. I feel like when you have this safety net or safe place yeah. or a thing where it's like, well, at least these people get me. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like at, at least yeah. I can come here and be like, these are my people. This is like how, where I feel comfortable. Right. And this is also my outlet for dealing with, um, 
maybe some of the frustrations of modern life. Right. right? I mean, it's, 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 it's certainly a one become a wonderful outlet. Right. Um, even if for nothing else, getting on stage and yelling is certainly right. an right. It's very cathartic. It's certainly cathartic. Yeah. The, 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 the thing that you hit on there that I find interesting is it definitely, um, it does introduce, even though it's like, you know, the notion of like getting into like a fringe style of music is like punk and hardcore or whatever. Um, you know, it's like whatever we are, the misfits and like we're all yeah, the weird yeah. people that get attracted to that. But it does weirdly breed this confidence where it's like, the, I, I absolutely, I totally yeah. think so. Yeah. I mean, it's, I just kind of am confident in what I do. And even when it's like the band and stuff and it's like, Oh, like you mentioned, like people be like, wow, you play in a band. Like what's I, not that I ever talk about it ever. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, let me, let me me play this for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I, yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is what I do. Like you'd think it was weird. Like I'm so (laughs) like over caring about it that, you know what I mean? And that it's become a true part of my life that I'm, not like embarrassed of or anything. It's just right. one of the things that I do. Right. And it's funny. It even goes back to like the touring thing because you'll, ha- I'll hear like some comments and chatter like, Oh, they're not like a real band. Like they don't tour full time. And I want to be like, it's so funny to say that because the way that I look about things is like, that is a real hardcore band. The real hardcore bands are the ones who are going to their shitty jobs and then coming home pissed off and playing hardcore because they have to. You know what I mean? Like the Tommy Carrolls of the world, like laying bricks or whatever bullshit. And then, you know, going right. to scream his face off and straight. Like to me, that that's exactly what hardcore is for. You know yeah. what I mean? I always thought that was a great irony of, of certain people looking down on us and being like, well, you don't really like live hardcore. I was like, nah, I kind of do. Right. You know what I mean? For it ta- us, it takes a lot of effort to do <laughs> yeah, what it's, we it, do. It certainly, it takes a tremendous amount of effort. Right. Does. No, yeah. and I, but I always thought that was really funny. Cause to me, I was like the true hardcore bands. It's like, these are these crazy dudes that like have to play in a band or they're going to be in trouble with the law or something like that. You know <laughs> totally. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If they didn't have this, then like it's just supposed, Lord to, be, knows it's where supposed they... to be an outlet and it's always been that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I don't know. No, I no. that was funny. No, no, it totally <laughs> is because it, it definitely, it's like, it, you, you always run into that, that, you know, whatever, art influencing commerce and commerce influencing art where it's like, you do run into that, like, you know, I always love where it's like a band like Mastodon. It's like, yeah. even like, I think it was like right up into the point they they actually signed their major label deal when they were still on relapse. Mm-hmm. It's like they were going home and like working at bagel shops, you know, it's like they were just yeah. doing the, the punk hardcore kid. Well, even with, thing. I mean, the changing of the, I mean, you know, this better than anyone that changed with your history working in century media and stuff yeah, like yeah. the, the changing of the music industry. It's like big bands that by all intents and purposes, we would consider really popular bands. Right are going home and working because they have to. Totally. I mean, like, I think like, I don't know, I could be mistaken, but I was thought I was an interview with Chris Adler from Lamb of God talking about like, he was like working when he was at home. I was like, Oh my God. Like they're, <laughs> you heard a, they are, you, they are the most, are you? Yeah, the they are like bands. a rock star, right? right. Lamb of God. And, and he was saying something along those lines about like struggling to, to make ends meet. And it's like, man, it's a, it's a different era. Totally. It is a different era. And, and sure. the notion too, where it's just like the, um, being, if you are pulling from real world experiences, like what you're talking about, like the struggles that, that you go through on a, on, you know, existing in New York city daily life, if you're not experiencing those because you are removed from it because you're on tour 10 months out of the year, it's like, where's the inspiration being derived from? You know? Yeah. I, I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I don't know what I would be mad at. Like I, yeah, my, everything comes very natural from me. And it's just the way that I perceive, that I'm sure, you know, but it would change things. It would be really interesting to see yeah. how that would 
you know, where that would have netted out for me. Because tour, I, I mean, yeah, touring is like a bubble. You don't, you're not existing in a real world. So it's like, that's yeah. why it's like some people where it's like, you see, especially like, you know, in like really successful bands, like when they, you know, when they do get home, it's like, they do like, you know, they make furniture. It's like, they, know. they attach themselves to the real world. Cause otherwise they're just adrift to this weird world. It's of, not real life. No, I mean, we've, yeah, it, it, I, uh, I don't feel like I could hack it. Yeah. I've uh, of the little touring that we've done and we've done some, I don't, I couldn't do the 35 shows. I couldn't do it. I would be 300 pounds. I would be an alcoholic and <laughs> I, it, right. I couldn't, I just, I don't think You're personally like, I, I have the mindset. Right. I think I'm too, I need to do things constantly. And the number one thing that people don't get about touring is how unbelievably boring it is. Totally. Hurry up and wait, man. That's Hurry right. Hurry yeah, up yeah. and wait. Yeah, here we go. Load in at four. Load in at four. Play at 1030. Yeah. What? Wait, why, what do we do for I guess I'm, wow, we'll walk around Scranton, Pennsylvania on a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was a big shocker. It is right. pretty damn boring. So, but again, that's just me. I, this is the way that I needed to do things. Right. You know, for my sanity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. I just think, that, and that's why I was so excited to have you on the show, just because I think that the perspective that you offer is very, um, I mean, it's very unique and it's interesting because it's like, I, I just think that more people need to have a more, uh, like you said, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing approach. Yeah. I don't subscribe to that. I've had, a, I will say this, that a lot of bands have said to me like, man, I wish we kind of like did, did the things, do, do it, do what do. you guys do. Like I was like, well, you can. Yeah. Just like, like just scale back on. And I do understand that when you're doing it full time and it is brutal. It becomes I have a, I mean, nothing it becomes, but right. respect for all of these bands touring full time. I of wish course. they all become the biggest, especially my friends' bands. I want to become totally. the biggest band in the world. But when you stop, it's it. I think it's tough. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a big difference. It's, it's, a scre- big it's definitely a screeching halt where it's just like, <gasps> like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. The transition. Yeah, it's always it's always rough. But yeah. Well, dude, I really appreciate you doing this. This is it was fun. Yeah, I mean, it, your dog fell asleep, so I yeah, <laughs> really, really, she contributed pretty much nothing. I'm sorry, there. It's kind of a bust. No, it's okay. Really. We're, it's it's a wash, but I'll, we'll have to interview her at a separate time. Yeah, she couldn't really have hit her boredom any better. <laughs> there you go. And if you hate my transitions from the interview back to this little outro, please email me. Better ways of of saying that because I don't know. I say there we go. Hope you enjoyed that. I, I don't know. I just, I feel locked in like a, a seven word cycle. So email me 100 wordspodcast at gmail.com. I always love to hear from you, the listener who are having a good experience with the show. So the producer, as always to call him the internet funny guy, because basically most of the stuff he puts out on his Twitter or Facebook are, they usually give me a lol and uh, a real life lol, not just a, hmm, a smirk that you uh, throw up when you are, um, you know, interacting with the internet. So Tom Richfield, of course, I'll get to his name eventually. I'm just going to put a bunch of adjectives in front of his name. So I also urge you to sign up to the email list that is a part of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Go to the website, 100wordspodcast.com, on the right side. I've been doing it once a week. Every Saturday morning, you'll get some some cool previews of what's happening with the show and then also some cool recommendations of stuff you should either watch, read, blah, blah, blah. Because I find that uh, kind of inspires conversation. I've had a lot of people... Um, recommend stuff to me too that have ended up being in one of those uh, mailings in the future so anyways i'm hoping the fall calms down to where i'm going to be able to launch some of these new things that i've been uh kind of gestating for a long time but i've got some ideas and i want to bring more audio into the world that is dedicated to music because i love music so anyways until next week please be safe everybody 
the show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.